Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The text for our meditation this evening is written in the letter of Philippians, the third chapter. Paul writes, Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. Here ends the reading. We pray. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. I don't know if you're familiar with the recent Netflix show, Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Uh, I've only seen the first episode of it myself, to be honest, so don't feel bad if you've never heard of it. But, but even if this is your first time hearing of it, I think the basic concept is familiar enough to all of us. Basically, we all have too much stuff. Most of it is just unorganized clutter and garbage that needs to be thrown out and dealt with. So Marie Kondo, this Japanese author and organizing consultant, goes around from household to household in America, helping people tidy up, sort through their stuff, get rid of what they don't need, and organize the things they do. Doing some spring cleaning sounds like a pretty basic concept, but this show actually had a really profound impact. Thrift stores across the world noticed a spike in donations right after it was released. I think we all just have too much stuff that's piling up, and we're wondering if something can be done about it. Now, I'm not trying to suggest that the Apostle Paul is running a self-help reality show. But in our text for this evening, he, he does give us some tips on what to do with your spiritual stuff. Paul gives us three words of advice. Get rid of garbage, cling to Christ, and pursue the prize. Now, Paul starts off our text by saying that everything is a loss to him. That maybe seems a, a tad dramatic uh, until we remember just where he's coming from. Paul was a highly educated Jew. He studied at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the most influential and famous teachers of that time. He was rising quickly through the ranks of the Pharisees for his zeal and energy in suppressing this new Christian sect. When Paul looked forward to the future, he could see a life of wealth and prosperity and influence. And then it all changed. Jesus appeared to Paul and gave him a new calling. Instead of persecuting Christians, he is to go out among the Gentiles and make new Christians. The very sufferings which Paul previously wished to inflict on the church, he is now bearing himself for the sake of the gospel. Everything Paul was holding firm onto had proven to be worthless. Everything he thought he stood for 
has been flipped. And he recognizes this really dramatic change, recognizes that everything he was relying on was worthless. He calls it rubbish, garbage. That same word translated a bit more harshly could even be filth or dung. That's how Paul views his former way of life. Your life story probably isn't as dramatic or theatrical as Paul's. But nevertheless, I think we're all in the same boat as him. When we came to faith or as we live out our lives of Christians, uh, I think that we can realize that a lot of the stuff we used to treasure or, or that parts of us treasured is really just worthless. There's the old adage, one man's trash is another man's treasure. And I think that holds true to our spiritual lives as well. We can recognize the sin within our lives and we can realize that that sin hurts us and those around us. But when we're tasked with cleaning up our hearts, well, we just want to hang on to our filth just a little bit longer. We're able to recognize and realize that that we should be clean, that God wants us to be clean, but it's hard to part with our clutter. So, so then, we, the, the sin that you treasure is the one that you brush under the rug, hoping that God doesn't notice it. We, we play the game with him. Well, maybe if I get the rest of my act in order, then maybe God won't notice that one dirty corner in my heart that resists being cleaned, and that I don't want to be cleaned. But our secret sins are anything but secret. God sees them. He sees quite plainly the filth in our hearts. But not only is our sin garbage, even the good things we do are are worthless if they're viewed incorrectly. If you think for a single second that the good works you can do will kind of balance against the evil you want to hold on to, that attitude is just as damaging as sin. If you think that you can make up for the sin you do by by doing good works, you stand just as condemned. Paul recognizes this. He, He recognizes our inability to stand before God. He doesn't want his own righteousness because it could never be enough. Even the good that we manage to do, still tainted by selfishness and sin. Although we are cluttered with all the garbage and filth of sin, Christ comes and cleans us. He tidies us up. This is the righteousness that Paul clings to, not a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. This faith is not a work that we do, but placing our trust and our confidence in Jesus and everything he has done to make us clean. He took all the garbage and filth of our sin and placed them on himself because he was the only one who could bear that heavy load. He carried our sins to the cross so that when he died, our sin died with him. The garbage of your sin is no more. It has been incinerated in the death of Christ. In our baptism, we are connected and unified with Christ and his death. In our lesson, Paul speaks of being conformed to his death. 
That means that when Christ died in our sins with him, we too are now dead to sin. You have been freed from the shackles of the old Adam and his evil desires. Sin has no more rule over you. And we are also united with Christ in his rising again. Paul speaks of knowing him and the power of his resurrection. This means that when Jesus rose from the dead to new life, you too have new life inside of you. The new man in us does not follow the sinful desires of the old Adam, but wishes to please God and become more like Christ and follow him. This new man is forgiven and cleansed and cleaned by the forgiveness Christ freely offers. Through Jesus' resurrection, we have new life too. A life in which we are forgiven all of our sins, purified from all our filth, tidied up from all of our clutter. But this rising with Christ is so much more than just the new life we experience now. If that was it, it wouldn't be enough, since we still daily battle against sin and us and the world around us. We have new life already in Christ and his resurrection, but we also look forward to the second resurrection, when Christ will return on the last day to raise us and all the dead, and lead us into eternal life in heaven. We will be raised to new life, not just the new spiritual life we have now, but an entirely new resurrection existence. Our lowly bodies will be transformed to be like Jesus' glorious body, which he received when he burst forth triumphantly from the tomb, announcing his victory over death. That victory was won by him but it was one for you. But Paul makes it clear that even though he's looking forward to that second resurrection, we're not there yet. He said, when he says, I do not consider that I have made it my own, he is by no means doubting Christ and his work. He is certain in his salvation because it doesn't rely on him, but on what Christ has already done. Paul has been united with Christ, dying and rising again in his baptism, but he's still looking forward to the second resurrection. We can speak of these things in terms of an already and a not yet. This is a framework that I didn't learn until I was in seminary, and it's been really helpful for me to, for sorting through complex thoughts like these. So on the one hand, we are already righteous in Christ. He has already won the victory. We are already forgiven. We have already been united in his death and resurrection. We already live new life. But on the other hand, we're not quite fully there. Not yet. We still struggle with the sin inside of us and the sin in the world around us. We have new life now and we can enjoy that but we haven't reached its fullness and its completion in heaven. Not yet. So what do we do between the already and the not yet? Well, Paul makes that clear. He says we should pursue the prize. The, the word for prize is connected to the Greek word for umpire or referee, the person who awards the trophy at the end of a race or competition. This prize is the crown of eternal life, 
which is waiting for you at the finish line in heaven. Christ has completed in your place. The results are secure. Your victory is for certain. God is standing at the finish line with your crown waiting for you. We just aren't there. Not yet. Pursue this prize by living a Christ-like life. The life of casting out sin and welcoming him in. The life of loving God and loving one another. We don't gain the prize in any way by doing this. It has already been won and achieved by Christ. And the power to live such a life doesn't come from inside us either. Rather, we are energized and invigorated as Christ comes to us and dwells in us in his word and sacrament. But rather, we serve God for what he has already done for us with a life of thanks and praise, even if we don't yet have it in his fullness. Paul strived for this prize all his life, and he finally received it on the day he died. On our last day, we will be able to declare with him, my race is run. We will have crossed the finish line of this life to receive the prize which is waiting there for us. I don't know who gave it the term spring cleaning, because in my house, at least, it extends into the summer and then the fall and then the winter and just wraps back around to spring again. Just a continual process of sorting through junk, getting rid of don't, what we don't need, and tidying up what we do. Although we are burdened with so much garbage in this life, Christ has taken away all of our sin and makes us clean. We cling to him because he cleanses us. We have died with him and we have risen with him. And while we await the second resurrection, we are called to this process of continual cleaning, constantly tidying up as we pursue the prize which he has won for us. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in faith through Christ Jesus our Lord unto life everlasting. Please rise as we continue with the versicle and canticle. Let my prayers rise before you as incense.
us, Lord, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. Abide with us and with your whole church. Abide with us in the end of the day, in the end of our life, and in the end of the world. Abide with us with your grace and goodness, with your holy word and sacrament, with your strength and blessing. Abide with us when the night of affliction and temptation comes upon us, the night of fear and despair when death shall come. Abide with us and with all the faithful through time and eternity. the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 